This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora koutou. I'm Sam Broughton, the Mayor of Waikirikiri, Selwyn District. Welcome back to Swell On Air. Grab a coffee or tea, sit back and enjoy listening to the following show. Welcome to Swell On Air. My name is Kirsten Dingwall Okoya. I'm a Community and Economic Development Advisor at Selwyn District Council. Today we've got as a guest Lee Andrews from Dementia Canterbury. And Lee is going to be talking about brain health. So welcome, Lee. Oh, hello, Kirsten. Thank you. So the term brain health, what does it mean and how does it relate to dementia? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, the term brain health was something I hadn't even really heard of or even considered until I started working at Dementia Canterbury, Kirsten. Brain health is basically, it, it's a critical piece of one's overall health. As you know, the, the brain controls so much of our daily function. Uh, for example, our ability to communicate, make decisions, problem solve, and to live a, a productive and meaningful life. So, you know, it's it's a really, really important and valuable organ of the human body and well worth protecting because of that. Now, how it relates to dementia is that we now know of a range of risk factors associated with getting dementia. Uh, Professor Joram Boric discusses nine of these risk factors in his book, and his book is titled Preventing Alzheimer's Disease personal responsibility. So he talks about nine of these uh, risk factors in his book, and these are such things as uh, obesity, carotid artery narrowing, low educational achievement, having depression, frailty, hypertension, smoking, all sorts of things that you know we, we know about in our everyday lives. And the fact is, there is no, not yet, any cure for dementia. So we need to therefore focus on protective uh, strategies. We know that there's currently around 70,000 people with dementia who are diagnosed living in New Zealand. That doesn't account for the people in our communities who aren't diagnosed, of course. But we also have figures where uh, that, uh, that amount of people is going to balloon out to 170,000, so almost three times as many, by the year 2050. They protect. They predict. So, you no, know, that's that's a really important health issue for New Zealanders, uh, I believe. So that ballooning out to one hundred seventy thousand is that because the older population is living longer? Oh, absolutely. Yes, we are living longer, but there's a range of, of factors uh, at play there, Kirsten. Uh, yep, we're living longer. We're, we're actually getting better at diagnosing dementia, at knowing what we're looking at and looking for. So, so there's that. But additionally, there's this um, there's this thing called the baby boomer bubble <laughs> heading mm. our way. Uh, so yes, in our de in our um, demographics, there's this really large yeah bubble or balloon. Of of, of people in a particular age group that will be at risk. Right, so this concept of reducing our risk of getting dementia, is that based on any research? Oh, lots of research. So, you know, for, for decades, 
now. Uh, lots of uh, research has been going on, heaps in fact, to try and find a cure. But alongside that, uh, they've been looking at all sorts of interesting things like these risk factors and protective factors, if you like. So just let, let me give you an, an example. Um, in 2010, a study was published in the Cognitive Effective and Behavioural Neuroscience uh, magazine, and it showed that people with depression, clinical depression, performed much worse on cognitive tasks than their non-depressed counterparts. Basically, you treat the depression and you can improve the cognitive function. So, you know, depression is reversible. It is treatable. So that's that's pretty jolly exciting. Um, we also know about stress. And stress in an ongoing way can actually lead to clinical depression. Now, I've been an educator at Dementia Canterbury for five years now, but I've worked in the area of dementia, dementia for about 20 years. And several times I've been asked by family members, so did the earthquakes in Christchurch cause my mother's dementia? And that's a really interesting question, and I've been asked it quite a lot. And so my answer, my standard answer, Kirsten, has been essentially no. The earthquakes themselves, the rocking and rolling uh, and the earth moving and the liquefaction, no. But the stress associated with that and then dealing with the insurance companies and EQC and all the aftershocks, of course, that stress in an ongoing way builds up. And if that stress isn't actually treated, it can lead to clinical depression. And if clinical depression isn't treated, which it can be, of course, but if it isn't, then there's your correlation with dementia. Many people with clinical depression left untreated will actually are at risk of getting dementia. So, so there, yeah, there's just there's, there's just one one uh, example. Um, we know that physical exercise, for example, uh, apparently one hour of weightlifting sessions twice a week has been shown in research to slow the progress of mild cognitive impairment and the risk of getting dementia. But uh, essentially, any exercise is better than none. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, it's interesting. There's a study published in the Journal of American Geriatric Society. They found that people with none of their own teeth, so teethless, none of their own teeth, performed 10% worse on memory tests than those who had their natural teeth. Wow. Now, I know. I, it's really I know, obscure. It's fascinating, isn't it? So yeah. All this research going on. Um, one of the ones that we're hearing about quite a lot in the media these days, Kirsten, and it may well be based on, on uh, this study. It was a 2013 uh, study at John Hopkins University. Well, they concluded that cognitive decline progressed 30 to 40% faster, 30 to 40% faster for people with hearing loss than wow. for those with but hearing. Isn't so that that's Oh, isn't that unaddressed hearing loss, though? Like, you know, if they don't have hearing aids as opposed yes, to having hearing that's aids. Right. Yeah, that's right. So anyone with hearing loss, untreated. You're absolutely right. So that's why there's quite a push uh, now for people with hearing loss and uh, hearing impairment to actually go and get it assessed and, and treated. I mean, what, why wouldn't you? Exactly. As well as being able to hear, hear you know, all sorts of beautiful things in nature. 
exactly. And um, it's almost like keeping your brain stimulated and yes. being able to use it to its maximum. I mean, things like stress or hearing impairment can yes. stop yes. you using your brain to its optimum, can't they? It can yes. kind of... Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, so in answer to your question, there's so much research going on and it's absolutely fascinating. But if I could just, uh, if you could just bear with me while I talk about uh, particularly five things that uh, are lifestyle factors, if you like, that we can all address, we can all consider uh, to actually help us reduce the risk of getting dementia. Yeah. So I call it the tight five, but um, the first one is, looking after your heart basically anything that's good for your heart as an organ is also good for your brain so Mm -hmm. that's things like not smoking not having high blood pressure getting your blood pressure monitored and treated checking that cholesterol isn't too high making sure that diabetes and obesity because they they both damage your blood vessels they need to be treated and monitored i mean all of those things increase the risk for both heart attacks and strokes Mm. which you know and that can cause vascular type dementia so anything that's good in your lifestyle that's good for your heart is going to be good for your brain I've touched on being physically active already but you know physical activity and exercise can help control blood pressure and weight um, as well as the reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes and even some forms of cancer. So, you know, just keeping active, getting on that bicycle, going for a walk, anything that basically breaks a sweat is is a good thing to do. Um, Thirdly, following a healthy diet. Now, this is something that our doctors have been banging on about for, for decades now, since I was a little girl, really. But, you know, food is fuel for both the brain and the body. And we can help to keep it functioning properly by eating a healthy, balanced diet. Now, coming back to research, so much research, Kirsten, has been done around the Mediterranean-type diet, which is rich in cereals, fruits, fish, legumes, vegetables, anything like that can actually help reduce the risk of dementia. There's probably more studies being done as we speak, but we know that eating lots of fatty and processed foods, which are high in saturated fat and sugar or salt, they're associated with higher risk of heart disease. And so that's best to be avoided. Makes sense. Here's the correlation coming in all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, you already mentioned, uh, just before I went off on, on this uh, talk of t- telling you about the type 5, about challenging your brain. And that that's a really, really important thing to do. So, again, in my career uh, working in this area of dementia, so many times people have said to me, so, Lee, you know, I do my Sudoku and I do my crossword and I, and I even do jigsaw. So that's really good, isn't it? That, that's me challenging my brain. And my reply to them usually, Kirsten, is, well, if that's what you've been doing for a while, please don't stop because that's good. That's going to maintain your brain. But if you want to grow brain neurons, you know, brain cells, then you have to challenge your brain, actually. Mm. You have to learn something new. So whether that's um, a new language, a new dance step, going to a night class, it doesn't really matter 
but you have to challenge your brain rather than maintain it. Just, can you see the difference there? Yeah, Kirsten? absolutely. And I know last yeah. year you did a session on this and, and a couple came to me and said, we're just going to make a decision whether we go to Zumba or Scottish dancing. And, <laughs> you know, it really got through. But again, the singing as well, like using your voice as an instrument. You mentioned that too. Absolutely. Yes, It's incredible. Yes. Indeed, indeed. In fact, they've done research into what what are the best activities to challenge your brain and learning a new musical instrument was top of the pops, top of the list mm. actually, which, which was great. Um, the, the fifth one uh, in my tight five is about enjoying social activities. Now, we know that loneliness is actually a risk factor. Loneliness and social isolation they are risk factors for getting dementia, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. um, social isolation in old age, you know, so much research now has been going on in the last decade at least um, around this. So we know that um, people need to stay socially connected, uh, whether it's with their families and friends or, or with the community in actual fact. Anything uh, that means that someone's going a person is going to interact with someone else is healthier for the brain so mm. it, it's just fascinating that this research is starting to really really take hold and um, the risk of Alzheimer's disease in, in one particular uh, study was more than doubled in wow. people who identified as being lonely so you know I don't need to say any more really I, th I think that's that's right up there mm. so yeah, so that's that's the tight five as as I like to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so if we are doing those five things in our life that you recommend, that research recommends, can a person mm. still get dementia? Yes, they can. Sadly, I, I'd like to be able to say no. That's you know, you do all those things, tick all those boxes, but no, I can't say that. However, on balance, if someone does all these things, and I mean, there's, there's, they've identified 10 to 12 uh, protective factors now, but I'm, I've just mentioned today uh, the tight five, but you can do all those things, Kirsten, and yes, still get dementia, the however there is you've possibly delayed the onset, Yeah. and if you've delayed the onset by, you know, four or five years, well, that that's going to be good for you, it's certainly good for your families, who love you, and it's actually also really good for the health system in New Zealand. Exactly. Uh, because, you know, with this big bubble, as I said earlier, of uh, people, uh, baby boomers heading our way, a lot of whom will get one of the forms of dementia, um, that's going to be quite a, a challenge for the health system, unfortunately. Mm. So whatever we can do, you know, to delay, uh, it, it's got to be positive. It's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Thanks, Lee. That's been really insightful. So you work for Dementia Canterbury, and if people feel that they might have a dementia diagnosis or they feel like they need assistance with a family member that has dementia, is there a way that they can contact you? Certainly. I mean, the first uh, step in the process is, as you've identified, is to actually get a diagnosis. Um, we will receive referrals uh, often that it's a pre-diagnosis that someone just thinks that they've got dementia or they're 
someone in the family. We actually need a confirmed and formal diagnosis of dementia mm. on a referral form. But anyone who's got questions or or wants to have a chat about it, certainly um, please phone us or email us. We have an amazingly uh, good website. Uh, we've, we're very proud of our website. There's a lot going on on there. So that's www.dementiacanterbury.org.nz. Our phone number here at the office is 379-2590. So look, we, we welcome contact from people. And interestingly, this just happens to be our week for um, for our street appeal, Kirsten. So it's great that you're interviewing me in this week because this, this Friday and Saturday we've got our street appeal and we have to fundraise for two-thirds of our annual operational budget. So it's pretty important. <laughs> Wow. And so actually by the time this airs, as guests uh-huh. will have realised, you will have just done your street appeal, uh-huh. but there are ways on your website that people can donate. And there's yeah. obviously some great webinar information on your website. I know that from firsthand sending people along there. And thank you again so much for for dropping by to um, our studio via Zoom and chatting about brain health. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure and it's always good to talk to you, Kirsten. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lee. Our second guest this morning is Lynn Glynn from 65 Alive Odyssey House, who's joining us to talk about alcohol, drugs and ageing and what we might need to know. So welcome, Lynn. Thank you, Kirsten. Thank you for having me here. It's good to be here. So why do we become more sensitive to the impact of alcohol as we age? Well, it's interesting because we think that um, as when we're drinking a lot that naturally harm can occur, but as we grow older, our bodies become much more sensitive to the toxic effects of alcohol. And so it doesn't have to be a lot to actually be causing harm. And so a lot of this is because as we age, naturally, um, a lot of us develop other medical conditions, arthritis or, you know, um, mental health problems, anxiety, depression. And we are on medications for these. And so with these medications and these medical conditions, uh, when you combine them with alcohol, you don't have to have a lot to have a negative effect or to be um, causing some issues with, with the medication as well. So is there anything we need to be particularly careful of when combining some medications with alcohol? Yes. Um, for, for example, as we age, we lose total body water but we gain fat reserves. So alcohol is water soluble. That means it needs um, a lot of water to dilute. And that's why a younger, bigger, strong male could probably drink a lot more um, than say someone who was a lot more frail and older because they have a lot more body water. So when we are drinking high amounts of alcohol, then we have much higher blood alcohol concentration in our body as we age. And when you think about some of the medications that older people are on, um, statistics say that 83% of people over 65 are on more than one medication. And 
of those medications, over 50% of people are on some sort of painkiller or something that will be like a benzodiazepine for sleep or managing anxiety. So with these particular medications, they are central nervous system depressants along with alcohol, that is also another central nervous system depressant. So what that does is that it slows down your heart rate, it slows down your, your breathing, your respiratory system, and, and, and our thinking as well. And so when it comes to benzodiazepines, that's another interesting story because, as I said before, as we age, we gain less, uh, we gain more total body fat and less total body water benzodiazepines are the, are the opposite to alcohol. They actually adhere to our fatty lipids in our body and they can stay in our system for a long time. So that means that when we're drinking, we have higher blood alcohol concentration in, in our blood, but also we also, on top of that, are combining it with medications like benzodiazepines if people are on them, and that's having a double whammy effect. On us, And so that's putting us much more at risk of falls and with falls come fractures as we age, as we know we don't bounce quite the same as we age. And so we are putting ourselves much more at risk of injury and as well as um, decline in memory and cognitive function. If I can explain something that a psychogeriatrician, a wonderful psychogeriatrician at Birdwood Hospital, he puts it this way, if we have a Petri dish of our brain cells, for example, and we pour one drop of alcohol on those brain cells, they will die in their thousands. That's because alcohol is incredibly toxic to our brain and our body. We don't feel it quite the same when we're young, um, but as we age, it has much more uh, negative impacts on us. And that's why we must be very careful with alcohol as we age. So does the concept of moder a moderate drinker as we age, does that quantity become less? Like It becomes less, that's exactly right. So a moderate drinker, and people will, will have different ideas of what that means. Um, but for instance, if you're having a glass of wine a day, for example, once you, once you hit your, into your uh, 60s and 70s and 80s, you could almost um, double that amount in terms of the effect it has on your, on your body. So we don't tolerate, tolerate it the same as we age as when we're young, younger. So uh, we are also much more at risk of if you've been drinking a long time. And so for a lot of people they have, you know, they've drunk all their lives and no problems at all and suddenly we get older. But then, you know, over time, our, our stomach becomes very, very sensitive and we start to um, have irritations to our stomach lining from the alcohol. And so we can have GI, you know, gastric um, bleeds as well. Um, and if people who are drinking higher amounts, like, you know, there can be up to a bottle or, or more a day, uh, at risk of um, heart cardiac issues, um, there is uh, Takasubo cardiomyopathy, which is that over time alcohol can actually change the physical shape of a heart, and so it doesn't beat as, as healthily as when it was younger. So there's lots more consequences for heavy alcohol use over time, but moderate drinking, 
Yeah, we've got to be a bit careful with that as well. So basically, it almost the what a moderate drinker looks like in their say thirties, forties, and fifties. Really, the quantity halves when we're in our sixties, seventies, and eighties, and gets less and less the allowance that you allow yourself to have. Yeah. And there's many variables to that too, Kirsten. I mean, um, mm. it depends on your medical issues. It depends on what medications you're on. And so, you know, some people can can have a little bit and, and they will do that every day. They might have half a glass um, every day or a glass every day and not have any issue with that. But it depends. it depends on them genetically, how um, resilient they are genetically. And also, you know, it just depends on um, for them what's happening around if they're having a really good diet. For a lot of people who are having drinking problems, you'll notice that their diet isn't as good either. So they're not getting the nourishment. Um, their brain's not getting the thiamine that it needs. And, and so, you know, being very careful to have a really good, healthy diet if someone is drinking, say, a glass a day, um, you know, it might be different for someone who doesn't, who's who's also drinking half, you know, a glass a day. So diet's really important. It's it's great information. So with an older person seeking help, there's often a lot of stigma around the concept of alcoholism and addiction in general. So how would you advise an older person or a worried family member to seek help? For a lot of older people, having to admit that they've got a problem with medications, overuse of medications or other substances such as cannabis or alcohol comes with a lot of shame, comes with a lot of shame. And for some people, they have retreated into... um, I guess being a lot more isolated from people, uh, they will hide their use. And so for them to talk about it is actually quite a big deal. But also in the community, there's a lot of stigma around alcoholism. For many, many years now, alcoholism has been looked at as a behavioural issue. Issue, You know, people are just being behaving badly and, and it's a matter of choice. Um, but we have lots more research around this now and science has shown us that there is actually um, a part of the brain that is really affected, can be affected, um, which will predispose someone to alcoholism or drug addiction. And that is the, the limbic area of, of the brain. And so if we turn it around and think of it as Um, a disease that can be treated like any other chronic relapsing disease such as diabetes, you know, um, then then we can, then people will be more likely to come forward and seek help without feeling judged by people. So if, if people have a family member who they are worried about, it's about having um, a gentle conversation with them without any judgment, just ask the question, you know, whether they feel um, they feel that they have a, um, a problem with alcohol and whether they would like to have some support around that. For some people, it might not be giving up straight away. It might be just reducing just to give them a better quality of life. And then later they may want to give up. But 
at the moment there's still a lot of shame around it and and discomfort talking about it so really it's important to approach the person very respectfully and um and just have a gentle conversation there's lots of support out there lots of support for people who want to get some help around their drinking or family members who want some support to help their family member who might have a problem with drinking or substance use so what are some of those options of support in the community Okay, so we are a service that is specifically designed for people over the age of 65 to have that support. We're the only ones around that we know about in the whole of New Zealand, actually. And um, so there's only two of us. There's myself and my colleague, Shah, who's a registered nurse. And, And so we will work, we're a mobile service, we'll go out into the communities and we will meet people in their homes Um, We can do assessments and referrals to treatment centres. But also, you know, we provide groups within the community. So we hold three groups a week. Um, They're two-hour groups. They're not like AA. Um, People come along and they will just talk about their issues, talk about issues that are going on in their lives that, you know, um, underpin their drinking or their substance use. And so this is a really lovely forum of of people who um, have had problems with alcohol and substance use that come together and they talk about other stuff that's going on for them as well, as well as support each other to to live a better, healthier life. So we do that, but there's also um, places in town like the Christchurch Central Service in Ferry Road, we call it CCS, and they have under their what they call recovery house, many types of groups of people. There's a mindfulness group, there's women and wellbeing, smart recovery, that's um, an acronym for self-management and recovery therapy. It's about goal setting, your identified goals, um, harm minimization, just planning, planning ahead. Um, And there's also Be Smart, and that's for people who have a loved one who is drinking problematically or using um, harmfully. And that's for family members to go to about setting boundaries and things that can be really hard to do. So there's supports out there for people to to um, get to those. And we can send those links out. We can send information out to people about those groups if they want to connect. So if them. someone wants to get in touch with any of these programs and what you offer, how do they? Well, they can, they can ring um, Christchurch Central Services, which you only have to pick up a phone book or um, Google um, Christchurch Central Services, Ferry Road, and all the information is there. So they can either ring them direct because they hold the groups in Ferry Road, but they can also ring us at um, 65 Alive and we can give them that information as well. There's also Familial Trust, which works with the families of people who have problematic substance misuse and they can help, you know, just just support the family member to support the other person as well. And what is the phone number for 65 Alive? Um, So they can ring me. So that's 021-919-938 and I can point them in the right direction but I can give you the number for um, Christchurch Central Services too if you would like if that's helpful. Absolutely. So that's 03-338-4437. 
Thank you so much, Lynn, for joining us today on Swell On Air and updating us with how people can understand alcohol but also get some help for themselves or engage with a family member. Mm, You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear other stories about ageing well in Selwyn, check out Plains FM website and search Swell on Air. Matewa.